Gridiron Growl Podcast from Chop Talk with your host, David Soderquist and Michael Pepper. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 10 of the Gridiron Growl Podcast. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist, along with lead writer from Chop Talk, Michael Pfeffer, and the lead man from Chop Talk, Brian Fox Jr., as the Gators are now 2-0 for the season and 1-0 in the Swamp as they defeat the South Carolina Gamecocks 38-24. Brian, Mike, not sure about you guys, but it was nice to finally see another game in the Swamp and another victory in the Swamp for the Florida Gators. Hey, it was a good win. Um, glad to be able to say that we've got Gator football back in the swamp. And hey, you know what? We're two and zero. Yeah, it may not have been pretty the whole way through, but yeah, a win is a win, especially in this SEC. Um, and you know, let's let's go ahead and just start rolling into some of some of the good of what you saw in this game. Uh, you know, I'm still very impressed with Kyle Trask, and and Kyle Pitts continues to shine. Um, I'm I'm pleased with overall with the way the offensive line is playing, and uh, well, as bad as it was overall, there was a little bit of improvement on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, man, the offense keeps humming. Uh, Kyle Trask, twenty-one for twenty-one, nine now for two hundred sixty-eight yards. Uh, pretty sure his completion rating's in that upper sixties to seventy percent now. Uh, <laughs> we haven't had a quarterback like this in a while, but yes, yeah, definitely a bright spot was the offense and uh we'll get into the uh the the not so bright spot here i I guess here shortly right and and we absolutely saw an improvement in the the defensive side but by no stretch is this a finished product or at least we hope not um i I certainly hope not yeah (laughs) yeah if so we're, we're we might be in trouble moving forward um but yeah a couple of the things i picked up on the offense especially early um coming away with 24 points in the first half that was big the momentum it set and realistically it seemed like getting out to that kind of start is what allowed for UF to kind of take especially in the fourth quarter kind of take a back seat and kind of watch Will Muschamp do Will Muschamp things with a seven plus minute drive on that last drive there yeah the offense started off hot again like they did last week and it kind of sputtered there towards the end though uh will Muschamp eating up a bunch of clock and did nothing <laughs> terrible clock management from will Muschamp. but as we all know will Muschamp's one of those players that tries to keep your offense off the field if you got a good offense and play complete defense and the problem is is you're trying to do that and you're trying to kick field goals uh when you when you need touchdowns and i, I just didn't get it i i didn't get why <laughs> must champ was sitting there just chewing up clock while he's behind more than three touchdowns and then electing to kick a field goal on fourth down instead of just going for it and trying to get a touchdown. Uh, it, it baffles me, man. Uh, the, the blunders of Will Muschamp. I, I can't say that I was shocked, though. I can't say that I was shocked because he's done that plenty of times here at the University of Florida and has made me want to break a lot of my TVs. Yeah, you know, the uh, clock management's always been an issue with Will Muschamp and uh, – one thing I was really perplexed by as far as his decisions was going forward on, I believe it was fourth and one deep in their own territory only to kick a field goal that would still leave them down by three scores on fourth and two deep in our own territory later on that same drive. Yeah, no, I agree. I, there, there's a lot of questions about Will Muschamp. Um, you know, these are a lot of the same questions that we had, you know, whatever it was seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago now. 
Um, so I guess, I, I guess I'm pretty grateful that we have Dan Mullen on the sideline at UF now instead of Will Muschamp. And somehow Champ still has a job out there in South Carolina. Yeah, I'll definitely take must. Uh, I'm sorry, I'll definitely take Mullen over Muschamp any day. I wouldn't talk. To, I wouldn't talk too soon, Brian. He may not have a job here coming up later on in the year. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely better to have Mullen over Muschamp. That's for sure. Absolutely. So one of the things that I saw that I really liked today was the running of Damian Pierce. Uh, the man had nine carries for 51 yards, and I felt like if he had gotten, you know, 18, 19, 20 carries, he, he could have really been a bell cow for this team. Uh, you know, you look at the overall rushing statistics, 24 carries as a team uh, for 80 yards. Of course, Pierce got the majority of that, nine carries, 51 yards with a touchdown. He averaged 5.7 on the game. But you're looking at the, the counterpart there, South Carolina, they – they had 36 carries for 117 yards. If you have another 12 carries at, at the 5.7 uh, that Pierce averaged, he's well over 100 yards as well. Yeah, I didn't understand why we didn't see more of Damian Pierce. He was off to a hot start. Uh, it was like you said, he was averaging 5.7 yards while Malik Davis was averaging 2.3 and Naquan Wright was averaging three there. Uh, not a lot of runs, though. Uh, there was only, it's like you said, 24 carries. Uh, I just didn't understand why they pulled Damian Pierce because he was just, he was getting chunks of yards every time that that he was running the ball. And uh, But, it, you know, it, we're going to see a running back rotation every game. We know that. Uh, not one running back can stay on the field. They always usually rotate. But you have to have that primary back. And right now, I don't see anybody separating themselves as far as blocking and uh, running ability, you got Damian Pierce, but is his catching ability up to the standards of LaMichael Pirine? Saw him drop a few passes that were passed to him. So, you know, you're going to see a rotation of running backs like that until somebody can step up and just get it all right. Right. And I think a lot of that comes away with Florida. Florida only had 53 plays in this game. There was only 53 times that the center snapped the ball. And that's something that has to be corrected. A lot of that obviously plays on the defense and their inability to get off the field. But, yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think uh, Damian Pierce, uh, like I said, to me, he kind of surprised me. I kind of expected more of a balanced workload between he and Malik Davis. Davis only carried the ball four times today. Um, that was kind of surprising to me. Is this kind of what you expected to see as far as the running back rotation shake out, shaking out? I wouldn't say I expected that. I do expect there to still be a, a kind of running back by committee approach just because that's Mullen's style. Um, however, he does tend to start favoring a single back and just kind of peppering in the, the uh, supporting cast, so to speak. So I expect Davis to have a little bit larger role than what he did today, but I'm not really surprised by what we saw. Right, and, you know, I know he got most of the carries. I just didn't see him on the field as much. I didn't see more runs. I, I wanted to see more from Damian Pierce. I wanted to see more runs from Damian Pierce. But, I mean, it, it, you know, if you're when you're taking chunk yardage of shots down the field and scoring touchdowns from Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony, you really don't need a running back to, to run you five or six yards or maybe even 10 or 20 when you can just take it to the house. Right. So now what did you see from the uh, – I'm curious what you saw from the receiving core today. We, we saw a receiving core where only two players caught more than two passes, and that was Kadarius Toney and Kyle Pitts. The two of them combined for three touchdowns and ten catches. But then you had guys like Trent Whittemore, Trayvon Grimes, Justin Shorter, Malik Davis caught a couple passes out of the backfield, 
Then we saw Xavier Henderson uh, make, make a grab. So we're seeing a lot of different guys get the ball, and it's not necessarily just that the defense has to focus on Kyle Pitts. What was your thought on the production that Florida got from the receiving core, and what do you expect moving forward? I think that, you know, when you can spread the ball around the way that Kyle Trask has been able to, 11 different receivers catching passes last week, nine this week, uh, I think that's going to always help out your offensive production. And so we want to see that. Um, However, I'm a little bit surprised at the lack of production from some of the guys that I really thought would be taking the front and center uh, as we approach this season. So Justin Shorter, uh, you know, Copeland, Trevon Grimes, you know, they, they've all had very limited roles so far this season. It really has been the uh, Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts show. And as long as they're producing the way they are, I don't see a problem with that. I still have to say, you know, I think I said it last week, Trent Whittemore is my surprise of the season so far. This kid, he only had two catches. He got 30 yards and a touchdown, but he's playing tough. He's running great routes, and, and he's uh, really made the most of his opportunities so far. Well, at the end of the day, you got to go with who's hot, right? So uh, if Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony are taking it to the house just about every play, getting open every play, uh, they're going to receive a lot more uh, receptions there than uh, all the rest of the receivers. But it is good to see that Dan Mullen, as he does, spreads the ball out. Like you said, nine different receivers. Uh, Kadarius Tony, six receptions for 86 yards. Kyle Picks, four for 57 yards. Trent Whittemore, with a great spectacular catch, by the way, that probably saved an overthrown interception. Uh, proving, uh, and people on Twitter proving that uh, white men can jump, by the way. <laughs> but... Uh, Trent Whittemore with a really good catch that game, but had two receptions for 30 yards. Trevon Grimes, two receptions for 26 yards. Xavier Henderson, like you said, had a good grab for 23 yards. Justin Shorter even had had his say in the game a little bit too, had two receptions for 16 yards. Not a lot of production from Justin Shorter, but nice to have that big-bodied receiver out there that you can always throw to, too, that's open, that can get you some chunk plays here and there. Also, uh, like you said, Malik Davis, two receptions for 13 yards. Jacob Copeland, one reception for 12 yards. And Naquan Wright, one reception for five yards. So, yeah, nine different uh, receivers there for the University of Florida, and that's what's keeping this offense humming and keeping the uh, the defenses guessing. No, I completely agree. Uh, Trent Whittemore stepping up and being the guy that um, is kind of the go-to out of all the younger um, underclassmen is kind of surprising. I think a lot of people kind of overlooked his status in the recruiting cycle, and so it's kind of exciting to see what he's got um, he kind of reminds me a lot of like a Chris Doring and Riley Cooper, and he can really play a big role as one of the secondary receivers on this team. And it's going to be important. He caught both of his targets today and got that touchdown, although possibly maybe that was a pick play. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll let it slide this time. Uh, well, it, it's okay because they got an interception that should have been counted as a drop anyway. So, uh, you know, it kind of evens itself out. I think you have to call it a pick play, though. I mean, I don't know if it was intentional, but it definitely ended up being one. Right. The way that I look at that is if that happened against my team, I would be really mad if that wasn't called. (laughs) So looking at it that way, yeah, that definitely looked like a pick play to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know one thing. There's less people in the crowd, and we weren't at South Carolina Stadium, so there might have been more trash on the field if we were. So (laughs) that's a good thing. (laughs) All right, man, let's let's move over to some of the bad because there was certainly plenty of bad today. Um, I want to start simply uh, 
third down defense, I know when you look at the percentage, six for 17 doesn't sound bad, but it seemed like all six of those conversions were something that it, it, it was at a time where you didn't think that that would happen. And at times it seemed crucial and could have put South Carolina in better position to possibly tie up or win that ball game. Uh, what are your thoughts on, in that regard for third down defense? I'm going to look at that more as an opportunity rather than as a, a negative. Uh, they 35% roughly uh, conversion percentage on that. If you're a defensive coordinator and your team's stopping and uh, are only giving up 35% on third downs, you're going to be pretty happy most of the time. But you are right. They were situations where they should have really been able to get them off the field. I think, however, what's more concerning to me is the fact that they then allowed South Carolina to go four, uh, I'm sorry, five for six on fourth down conversions. Well, what, what you see on paper and what you see with the naked eye are two different things. Now, uh, South Carolina, a lot of their drives where they were stopped, uh, there was there were still players out of place for the defense for Florida, but uh, Kyle Hill overthrew some of his passes and uh, some of his receivers just dropped the ball and it, it helped Florida get off the field. And it's like I said, the defense is still by my naked trained eye. They play better, but it was still kind of the same defense I saw last week. Uh, there was a lot of people out of place and, uh, I don't even know what happened to Marco Wilson, man. Uh, <laughs> he's been he's been very underwhelming this year, uh, but I, I'll get into that. But uh, especially you see uh, South Carolina. Uh, let me throw out an example. South Carolina, when it's 38 to 24, it's it's a minute or two left in the game, and they're right at the goal line. Throws it up in the air to Shai Smith. And Shai Smith pushed off the defender and would have caught that ball, but he dropped it. That should have been a touchdown for South Carolina. But then fourth, you know, on fourth down, they're in the end zone again. He passes it to Shai Smith, wide open in the end zone again, but passes it a little bit behind him. It gets floored off the field, and they win the game. So, yeah, the the the, the defense, it's something's got to give here, man. Uh, it, we we can't continue to give up points like this and expect to win every game here in the SEC because uh, against a good, accurate quarterback, stuff like that's not going to be happening, and points are going to be scored on the other side of the ball. So, uh, a lot of things have to be cleaned up. But I will say, I, I am impressed by Kyrie Elam this game and, and a little bit of Sean Davis and, and Jaden Hill as well. Uh, they had some good key key blocks and key plays in this game as well. So overall, not a terrible day from the defense, but still needs to get a lot better. Yeah, I completely agree. This is um, kind of what we all feared. We're not sure what exactly we're getting from this defense in that sense. And we've seen this issue play out uh, several times in the past. So it'll be interesting to kind of watch the development of the defense, especially as you start to get into a much more brutal stretch of the schedule where you've got Texas A&M coming up just next week. Yeah, they're certainly not going to get any easy shots, not for a little while. Now, one thing I did see that I really liked today was I thought Zachary Carter was a monster along that defensive line. He came away today with eight tackles, um, you know, one and a half sacks. Those obviously were all um, – tackle for losses um, and he hit the quarterback a couple times I thought his play was phenomenal I thought all in all I thought the defensive line actually played really well Florida pulled off um, four four sacks today uh, what, what are your thoughts on that yeah I absolutely agree uh, like I said earlier the defensive line they were able to get a little bit more pressure than they did against Ole Miss a week ago um, I still want to see a little more aggression I want to see them disrupting the backfield a little bit more but as you said, four sacks. They had nine quarterback hurries. 
Um, and Zach Carter, he did play a great game. I was also very impressed with uh, Mahmoud Diabati. Seven tackles for him. Two of them uh, were were on his own, and then he was in the backfield on two different occasions, really app- applying the pressure. Yeah, the defense got more pressure this game. Uh, it's like I said, I'd like to see a little bit more pressure from, from the defensive line, but uh, as long as they're improving every game from week to week, I'm going to have no problem. And props to some of these young cats out there. Andrew Chatfield with a with a key uh, sack out there as well towards uh, towards the end where South Carolina still scored on the next possession, but still a great sack there down in their own territory and uh, could have saved the touchdown there, but it didn't save the touchdown there because nobody was covering anybody on the next play, of course, and they scored anyway. But, you know... It's so like I said, man. Uh, defensive line did pretty well this game. I, 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 I'm, I'm. It's like I'm not thoroughly impressed, but you know they're getting better each week, and that's all I can ask for. Yeah, I think the defensive line is one thing that I'm not worried about moving forward. I think they're going to get their chances. I think as long as the secondary can hold up, and that's I think where the biggest problem has been so far, and that's why it's probably so concerning for me at this point. So. Um, I think, you know, hopefully this stuff starts to even out a little bit and the, the defensive line play rises and then the secondary starts to rise. I think the linebackers are playing well when they're not in coverage, and that's kind of what we're seeing out there on the field right now. Yeah, and, you know, for a school that has the moniker DBU, we have much higher standards than what we've seen in the first two games. Um one thing that stood out to me, and I don't want to pick on any one guy, but, you know, Marco Wilson, he, he had a down season last year coming off of the injury, and we gave him a little bit of a, a pass on that. We understood. He, he's fresh off of an injury, and sometimes that can impact a player's, you know, ability to make the plays they once did and, and even their mental state going into it. However, he kind of came into this season saying he had a chip on his shoulder and he was going to present the best version of Marco Wilson that we've seen. And uh, so far that just hasn't materialized. And I look at Kyle Pitts, who's been motivated by the fact that he was snubbed from the, you know, the watch list there and he's put in the work, he's put in the effort. And that's really what I was hoping to see from Marco Wilson, who voiced the same kind of feeling of disrespect and, and disappointment in himself. Like I said, our Marco Wilson has been very underwhelming this year, but I, I don't want to pick on any players because trust me, if you want me to call out some names right now, I can call out some names. Donovan Steiner, Mari Bernie, Marco Wilson. Uh, I, I could keep going, but I'm going to stop. Uh, it's, it, it's a collaboration of everybody, so everybody has to be on key, on point. So I can't really pick out one player when they're trying to make up for another player's miscues down the field, and and it just nobody can cover anybody. It's it's just all over the place. I don't I don't know if it's a communication thing, or if they if something's just not right. I know there wasn't a lot of practice, so I I, I can give them credit for that part because of the virus and all that. But every other team has been facing the same adversity, so something's got to be cleaned up here. And, and who's to say that he you know Marco may not get better week three, week four, week five, week six. Uh, maybe he just had a sloppy two games, and 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 now he he's he's going to be a lot better. We don't know this. We we can't predict the future. It's week two, so we we just can't pass judgment right now until we get further on into the season. Yeah, and admittedly, he's come up against two really good receivers in the SEC. Um, you know, last week, obviously, he had to deal with Elijah Moore. This week, he had um, Sky Smith. Um, so I get it. You know, and hopefully, as we start to see Florida play against some of these 
lesser wide receiver groups, uh, the play starts to kick back up again. Um, but we'll see. Uh, there's obviously still a long way to go in this year, and Florida's 2-0 right now. One thing I did want to talk about that I actually thought was really good in the secondary was the play of Jadon Hill. Jadon Hill, you know, he only finished with two tackles, but he had three pass breakups, and I thought this was the first time since he had stepped on campus that I thought, wow, I'm hearing Jadon Hill's name. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that's something I think was a good takeaway from the secondary and who knows with all the moving pieces, what's going to end up happening as far as who's going to be playing what downs and when um, that was a really good development for Florida. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, you know, like I said, there were some good spots, some areas of improvement on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, you know, one of those areas was that it seemed like no matter what Ole Miss did last week, they had a cushion of about three yards around the receiver before the, the defensive back was, anywhere to be found and they kind of tightened that up they they gave a little bit less cushion this week against uh south carolina but there were still those moments where where they were just leaving the guy out on his own so i, I want to see the consistency returning i want to see the coverage being tight i want to see this defense playing like a typical florida defense with aggression and you know with a, a chip on their shoulder yeah, Brian, I, I'm actually glad you mentioned Jaden Hill because that was quite impressive there for a, a freshman. That actually, we we flipped from South Carolina uh, in the recruiting battle, so that was a South Carolina defensive player that they wanted. That now that we had, so that was a good steal from from Will Muschamp. Uh, but yeah, even Chester Kimbrough out there had, had one pass deflection as well. Uh, Kyrie Elam had a couple, and uh, Sean Davis was actually disruptive out there too. So it was great to see Sean Davis back out there and not. Uh, <laughs> Almost kind of risked uh, getting ejected there again, uh, hitting people too hard. Uh, I, I was kind of scared uh, Sean Davis was going to get ejected again, but uh, wound up staying in the game. So it was great to see Sean Davis back out there as well. Right, I agree with that. What I'm kind of hoping to see in the future is, you know, better better communication from the defensive backs. Um, it seems at times that they lose who's covering whom, not who's covering whom, but who's got the help side, who's got everything else. Um so hopefully moving forward, there's less breakdowns in the communication and less wide receivers left wide open. Um, but I guess we'll see. That's, that's obviously going to be tested more and more. Uh, Florida's run defense doesn't really – doesn't concern me too much, though they weren't fantastic. Kevin Harris did run for 100 yards um, and a score. But I'm not concerned as much about that as I am about the secondary here at UF so far. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat on that one. Uh, and, and, you know, this is a team that we, we have to take into consideration. I know I've been critical, but we have to take into consideration. This is a team that just has not had the same type of preparation that they're accustomed to. And that's for any team on the field any Saturday. But uh, we have to take that into account and understand that that does impact the way they're going to look week in and week out. And I think that this is a team that's also going to show improvement each week. And by the end of the season, they won't be the same team that they were last week. They won't be the same team that they were this week. Absolutely. And, and in some ways, we, we sure hope that's the case moving forward. And in some ways, I think we're, we're kind of like, you know what? I like this about this team. Um, it's going to be a fun year. I'm excited about it. The more and more we're getting to see it, the more and more I, I'm getting excited uh, thinking about the, the possibilities that this team could go through over the next eight, 10, 12 weeks or so. Um, but yeah, this is, it's a heck of a start. 
Um, I did want to ask you, do you, um, do you have anything that you'd like to nominate as an ugly from this week's game? You know what? I, I'm going to go with the opening defensive series. I'm going to go with the uh, first and 10 at the 46 and Kyle Trask runs the ball and completely tumbles and fumbles the ball and gives it right back to South Carolina for seven points. When they could have went up 21 to seven, instead it tied the game 14 to 14. Uh, if you're first and 10 on the 46, man, you kind of probably just need to give it to a running back and not a quarterback that's not known as a, a, a free runner there. No, I agree. I think you you absolutely want to come out of the gates, especially in the home opener, and you would expect to see more fire from the defense. And that first drive, to let South Carolina control the ball for almost seven minutes and to take it down to score, yeah, I think that was deflating. Uh, fortunately, the offense overcame that, but it could have set a, a really negative tone from the beginning, and, and it's just something that this team is going to have to get used to. Um, and and I don't know if this is the kind of game, a uh, 38 to 24 final, is this what we should expect moving forward? Um, hopefully not, because you would like to think that the defense is going to steal you a few games, but it doesn't necessarily look like that's going to be the case. Hopefully, like I said, moving forward, that, that changes a little bit, but there's no reason to believe that at this point. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the way the offense is playing too, they're going to get, they're going to bail the defense out quite a few times this season, but you want them to be in a position where they don't have to do that. And I want to see, I'm harping on it again. I want to see this team come out ready to go from the very first snap of every game and, and play with consistency throughout. You know what I'd really like to see from the defense is some freaking turnovers, man. <laughs> Gervon Dexter is still leading the team in interceptions, you know, right now. <laughs> yeah, the lack of turnovers. I mean, come on now. If, if Georgia Tech's defense can get turnovers, we can get turnovers too. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to me how we now have an offense that's bailing out the defense. It seems like it's been forever since that's been the case, probably since Tebow was on campus. Um, it's a pretty cool feeling. <laughs> But um, definitely not something I think that we're familiar with too often here right now. No, I think you're you're absolutely right. It probably was around 2007 when Tebow won the Heisman. You know, he was putting up video game numbers, which we're kind of seeing from Kyle Trask so far this season. But uh, the defense just they, they couldn't stop uh, water through a strainer. That's not a saying. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, are you okay? <laughs> that was uh, that was worse than Will Muschamp's time management there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, wasn't going to question you on that one, but yeah. <laughs> hey, so as far as the ugly goes, the only thing I've really got, and I know this kind of goes the other way, that ball management by South Carolina over the last few minutes was perplexing. And like I said, I know we've seen it firsthand with Will Muschamp at UF, but I mean, to spend seven minutes and 23 seconds uh, on a drive that that time is just it's baffling to me I can't believe it it's like he thought he was up 38 to 24 it's I kept watching and I'm like there's no way he this is happening right <laughs> this just doesn't seem real uh what what did what were your thoughts on that I know we hit up quick on it in the beginning but I'm just curious what your thoughts were on that I I think that you know you're absolutely right it's it's perplexing I mean it's not like this is the first time he's done this either. So the thing that concerns me the most about that for, I guess, for South Carolina fans would be the fact that he doesn't seem to be learning from it. And, you know, he's also benefited from it. You look at last year that there was similar 
uh, clock management issue with Kirby Smart when they met Georgia. Um, but more often than not, he's on the wrong end of that. Um, I didn't get the, the length of the drive. I didn't get the going for it on fourth down early in the drive and then settling for a field goal that really doesn't help you later on in the drive. You have to have more situational awareness and clock management as a head coach. Yeah, well, I expect a lot of people heading to Best Buy or, or a store near them try to buy new TVs today after the terrible clock management yesterday. Even even the announcers were uh, were saying, what is Will Buschip doing? Why is he hurrying up? Like everybody, everybody on Twitter, social media, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what goes to that man's head, and uh, I'd never understood what went through his head when he's there at the University of Florida, and, and now, I'm glad it's, uh, now I'm glad somebody else has to deal with these problems and not us. No, I completely agree, and that's part of the reason that he's not still coaching at the University of Florida. So, um, And most likely it's part of the reason why he will not be coaching the University of South Carolina much past this year. I cannot see that happening. Um, anyway, we had, um, we had some pretty big news break in the uh, first half as our buddy Joseph Hastings over at Gators Territory reported that Florida had landed transfer running back DeMarcus Bowman from Clemson. Um, you wrote the story for us, so you want to go ahead and talk about that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, this is a major get for the Florida Gators, and it was an, another chapter to a very interesting recruitment. For months, I remember everybody that watched recruitment uh, recruiting uh, going back and forth. Will he choose Clemson? Will he choose Florida? Well, he's wearing Florida gear this week, and, and I think he's going to switch. And ultimately, he ended up coming down to uh, his decision to go to Clemson. And now he's been there for, what, a month? As far as actual season goes, um, he's going to finish out his, his semester. Um, and then he's going to come back home to Florida. So the reason behind it uh, is a death in the family and just overall not feeling like he's a good fit in the Clemson program. But I honestly, I think that this is where his heart was at all along. Uh, he's grown up as a Florida fan. He, he had a great relationship with Dan Mullen and with the rest of the staff. And then, of course, so many of his Lakeland High teammates are actually already on the Florida football team. So, you know, I, I think this was almost inevitable. Yeah, well, the, the joke's been on Twitter for a long time saying, hey, when's Bowman coming to the swamp after he already committed to Clemson? And we would just make – we would make jokes about it. We'd be like, hey, is Bowman coming to the swamp? Because everybody kept saying it that year, and he shows Clemson over Florida. And mostly a Greg Knox joke going around on Twitter. And lo and behold, uh, I guess we I, I guess we jinxed it because Bowman is actually coming to the swamp now. So, yeah, a huge get for the Florida Gators, uh, a 5'10", 190-pound running back that rubs a, runs a sub 4-4-4-5, really fast running back. If you – just go on YouTube and watch this kid's film. He is ridiculously, freakishly fast uh, for you know for his size and all that. Uh, maybe he he's not Jeff Demps fast or anything like that. But just just watch his film. He 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 has he's the running back that if you can get that small crease instead of getting you ten to fifteen yards, he can possibly get you thirty to forty and maybe even take it to the house. So uh, that's a huge pickup for the Florida Gators. And uh, I cannot wait to see Demarcus Bowman in a Florida Gator uniform on the field, man. Yeah, and for those that don't know, Demarcus Bowman was the number three running back in the 24-7 composite rankings. He was the number 20 overall player. He chose Clemson. He committed to Clemson in May of 2019, ultimately signed with them in December. 
Um, he had a death in his family and he was looking for a way to get back home. He entered the transfer portal earlier this week. And then just earlier today, it was announced that he will be transferring to Florida. Um, I think that takes a lot of pressure off of Knox's back. <laughs> um, he's taken a lot of heat from Gator fans, especially throughout social media for not being able to land a running back the last cycle and a half so far. Um, but this, this seems to kind of change the perspective now in the last, just whatever, nine months, they have landed two five-star transfers when you add in Lorenzo Lingard and that running back room is about as solid as any position group in the country right now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's probably, um, it's probably going to end up being one of the best in the country. Once these guys are in place, they've learned the system and, and they're, you know, firing on all cylinders hopefully here in the next you know season. But uh, Knox has gotten a lot of heat from the fan base. And, and uh, I think that the only way he's really going to truly get that off of his back is to actually pull in a five-star who wasn't previously with a different team. Um, that said, Mullen and his, his team have done a phenomenal job of pulling top-tier talent out of the transfer portal, probably better than uh, – any other staff that I could think of, to be honest. Right. You know, you talk about Greg Knox. The, the, the reason you want to get a kid fresh out of high school is because you have more years of eligibility on this kid, right? So if you get in a transfer, maybe you only have three years or two years or one year. But in this case, Demarcus Bowman hasn't even used up any kind of years of eligibility. So this is kind of like just pulling a kid straight out of high school. So now you have all years of eligibility for Demarcus Bowman. And I'm pretty sure he's going to have to wait till next year to play, but Shoot, man, that that's big. That's huge for the Florida Gators. Well, I know we consider Miami, I guess, transfer portal U um, because they had so many players that came in through their program that had spent time at different different schools. But what Dan Mullen has gotten from the players that have transferred into Florida is what's kind of set him apart from every other coach out there. Um, what he's done, I just look at this year with Justin Shorter, You've got Brenton Cox over there on the defensive side. Uh, Lingard, hoping we see him on the field soon. Um, but he's got guys that, that can come in and make an impact right away. Stuart Reese wasn't a uh, – wasn't a um, he was a, tra- a graduate transfer. But what he gets is guys that can come in and make an impact as soon as they start playing. And that's something that you have to respect. Um, perhaps more than what, like you saw Manny Diaz, where he was basically, all right, let's fill our roster with anybody we can get and kind of build it from there. Right, yeah, you want immediate production if you're pulling them out of the transfer portal. Obviously, with the rules, they may have to sit for a season, but once they're on the field, then you want them to be the playmakers that you brought them in to be. Well, now next year they eliminate that. Uh, you have to sit out a year if you transfer one time, though. So, yeah, if you in marks of transferring twice, like, say, a Chris Steele or something like that, yes, they would have to sit a year. Yeah, it certainly changes expectations, uh, when, especially when a player was previously rated as a five-star prospect. You expect them to come in and make big changes. I think that's what you were alluding to earlier when you were talking about Justin Shorter. Um, but I don't, like I said, I, I don't – I'm going to have a hard time – criticizing much that the offense is doing right now. They're rolling pretty well. There wasn't a whole lot of cohesion in the second half, but I don't think that that was anything that um, isn't correctable. I don't think it was anything that um, won't, won't be fixed moving forward. It, it wasn't 
something that should be of a huge concern right now. Right now, the defense has to be the major concern. But I'm, I'm excited, man, looking forward. Uh, Florida's got Texas A&M next week. I believe that game's scheduled for 12 o'clock. Then they're playing against LSU and then Missouri. It's going to be the next two weeks, I think we're going to learn a lot about this team. We're going to learn a lot about the secondary. We're going to learn a lot about every aspect of this team. What do you think uh, happens kind of moving forward? What, what improvements, what, what adjustments do you think that they make? And, and what do you think we're going to see now? I honestly believe that we're, we're going to see much of the same with the offense. Uh, I think they'll probably look at, at what happened here in the uh, fourth quarter today, and they'll work out the bugs there, make sure that they keep rolling along, and they don't lose any steam as the game goes on. Because as we know in the SEC, you can't let up for even a down. So I think as far as the offense goes, we're going to see uh, just a continuance of their dominance. Um but maybe without taking the foot off the accelerator. As far as defense goes, uh, like I said, I, I think this is going to be a week-by-week -week, uh, project, and, and I'm hoping that we see more improvement next week than what we saw this week and, and the next week after that. I, I hope we continue to build on that, um, developing not just uh, better, you know, better play, but, but confidence and that swagger that we've become a, so accustomed to uh, within the Florida defensive side. Um, I, I guess that's all I had to say right there. Well, as far as the offensive side of the ball, I think you're going to see a lot more Jacob Copeland, Travon Grimes, and Justin Shorter because teams are slowly going to start figuring out that uh, Kadarius Toady and Kyle Pitts are the uh, main targets there to watch out for. So uh, as far as offense goes, uh, the good part is we got so many weapons in the backfield, right? Uh, yeah, and you got Trent Whittemore there as well. So... Teams are going to be starting to look at Kyle, uh, Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask to Katerius Tony. So they're definitely going to keep an eye on that. But it opens up the field for people like Trevon Grimes, Copeland, and Justin Shorter. So we'll probably see more ball play from those wide receivers as the weeks go on and the teams get, you know, they get harder. It's Texas A&M next week. Then it's LSU. So you have to switch up things on offense as well, even though it's humming. It could, you know, it could easily, people could easily take advantage of, of your main players as well. But it's like I said, there's so many weapons on this offense that it's going to be very confusing for upcoming defenses to, to not be able to contain this offense. And then as far as the defense, um, uh, I hope we see some defensive improvements, man. I, 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 I can't promise you that the defense is going to improve, but I'm going to hope that since the weeks have been going on and the defense has been out there on the field and they haven't had the time to practice because of the virus, uh, that, Eventually, they'll, they'll they'll get it together. Uh, they'll get it together mentally, be able to be more prepared for offensive, uh, you know, offensive to defensive plays and, and, and things of that nature. So I expect some defensive improvements, but how far they improve is the big question. Yeah, no, I um, – so one of the things that I hope um, they change on defense, I thought last year that once Marco Wilson moved over to the star position that the defense started playing better. So what I'm kind of hoping to see is, all right, if Kair Elam moves to CB1 and you put either Jadon Hill um, or Trading or, or Kimbrough maybe as CB2 um, and then let Marco take over the star, I, I think that might be the best way to enhance the defense, to make them better, to make it more cohesive. Um, but just at this point, I am kind of grasping at straws, hoping that anything can fit. Um, we're starting to get into the meat of the schedule. 
And I think it's going to be important that our defense can actually keep the game realistic. I don't think 38, 38 and 51 points are something that Florida can expect weekly. Um, it's nice that they, they got the win against Ole Miss and, and scored 51 points, but you cannot be giving up 35 points in an SEC game and expect to win week in and week out. So whatever they can do to kind of change up the momentum, change up the cohesion, I think is something they need to search for. And like I said, I think a big start would be putting Marco at the star position, uh, which was a position I thought that he thrived in last year once they started doing that. And I'm sure that that's something that the uh, the staff was going to be looking at. I, I know Dan Mullen, uh, he trusts Todd Grantham. And, and I know that he wants him to have autonomy, you know, to some extent with that side of the ball. But uh, I also know that he wants to win and he wants to – have excellence there within the program. So I expect that they're going to be having a conversation and, and they'll figure some things out. You know, they're both very capable on their side of the ball. They're, they're both brilliant football minds. And I think they have a mutual respect for each other. So, you know, they're going to look at what works and what doesn't, and they're going to make the adjustments that are, that are needed. Um, that said, I do think that uh, Wilson did perform at least what we're seeing up to this point better in that star position last season. So Texas will enter next week's game as, um, as losers of a 52 to 24 showing against Alabama. Um, I think a lot of people expected that to be a really good matchup and it just wasn't, um, you know, it's, I kind of expected it to be a much closer game, um, but it wasn't. And this is kind of where we stand. Uh, Texas A&M entered as the 13th ranked team in the country. I assume that's going to go down. Um, like I said, I believe it's going to be a noontime kickoff is uh, what we've been here, what we've been hearing. Um, any initial thoughts on that matchup? Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm actually going to say when, when I was able to tune into that game uh, earlier, it was tied up at 14 and I was actually surprised by that because for really the entire off season and up into this point of this season, I have not been impressed with Texas A&M. I haven't thought that they, you know, were the team that they were really being hyped up to be. That said, I do believe that they're going to be a challenge for, for this Florida team. Uh, you know, we're going on the road that's always, you know, an obstacle in and of itself. But then you look at the fact that uh, Jimbo Fisher, he, he knows this Florida program from his time at Florida State. He went 7-1 and one as a head coach. Uh, and so he's going to throw in some wrinkles that are going to give us a little bit of trouble. And if the defense is unable to, you know, apply pressure and, and close the gaps on the receivers against Kellen Mond and, and that uh, Texas A&M offense, then it could be a high-scoring game. Uh, it's still one that I think is very winnable for Florida. Yeah, no question that the game is winnable to me, especially with how the offense is humming and everything else. But like, it, like I said, it, it's going to come down to the defense. When is this defense going to wake up? Uh, it, it's not going to all ride on the offense all year because you're going to have that one game where the offense is just struggling a little bit. And uh, can the defense dig them out of the hole? Can the defense get a turnover or a key play, a key turnover or a key interception or a, or a sack fumble or a sack or a, a key stop on a fourth down for another team? Can the defense help dig out the offense when the offense is struggling a little bit? So 
eventually it's going to come down to that one game where we're going to need some good defensive play out of the defense. And thus far, what I have seen is a little bit of improvement, but it has a ways to go. And I believe this game is your statement game. And I said this last week and the week before. Texas A&M is going to be your statement game. You make a statement away from home like that, and you put a pounding on Texas A&M, that's really going to wake up a lot of these people at ESPN and, and, and every every other team right there. They're going to say, wow, Florida is for real this season. And there's some people that are already saying it right now, but uh, it, it's not going to really hit people's minds until this defense wakes up and starts playing the, the Florida defense that we all know. Yeah, on the uh, on the just on the surface, I look at it and I'm like, man, Florida should – should kind of steamroll this game. You're talking about a team that Texas A&M that that beat Vanderbilt 17 to 12. They actually struggled with Vanderbilt. <laughs> um, so I look at that and I'm just like, you know. Then they lost almost by 30 points uh, by by four touchdowns today against uh, Alabama. And I agree, they've got playmakers, they've got talent, they've got Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher has always had the Gators number. Um, but I will, I do think, you know, this is Dan Mullen. This isn't. Will Muschamp, this isn't Jim McElwain. This is a different style of football at UF than what Jimbo Fisher ever saw here while he was the head coach at FSU. Absolutely, and it's going to be, you know, it's a different a different ball game altogether on both sides because he doesn't quite have the same horses that he had when he was at FSU, and he's going up against a team that is light years beyond what he faced when he was at FSU. Well, you got to think, though. Texas A&M has recruited very well in the top 10 just about, I think, every single year since Jimbo's been there. Uh, Texas A&M has recruited up there with Florida as well. So they got the skill level talent, and they they got a good head coach as well. So uh, I'm not going to say this will be an easy win for Florida. It's going to be contested. uh, But it's like I said, if we get some good defensive play, it could get really out of hand real quick, though, too. Well, Folks, uh, Florida faces off against Texas A&M, another noon game. Uh, I know how much you uh, fans out there love these noon games, <laughs> but uh, pretty sure the team doesn't like them as well. But yeah, Florida faces off against Texas A&M. I'm curious to see what the odds are for uh, the betting odds for this game when they come out, the percentages of which team's going to win or not. I'm pretty sure we'll be favored in the game. I don't know how about how much, but uh, like I said, it could be... It, could be an interesting game and it could get out of hand we'll, we'll have to see how the defense plays uh and uh, it's it's like i said they could either you either stay the same or you get better throughout the year so i i don't see the defense getting any worse because i think i've just seen them at their worst at old miss but let's hope not let's hope it doesn't get any worse than that but uh yeah we need some good defensive play down there uh down the line and, and, and it's like i said when when you, your defense is giving up consistent third downs fourth downs uh, your offense really can't get on the field, and we saw it this game. Uh, we saw it against South Carolina uh, towards the, the second half. Florida, they they were on the field for 21 minutes of that half. That's why Florida never really scored any points, and that, that came back to bite Florida last year in that Georgia game. Kirby was really good in that game, nickel and diving it down the field, getting third downs and keeping Florida's offense off the field, and then scoring. And that's why Florida never really scored any points in that Georgia game either. It was a really smart... Moved by Kirby Smart, uh, he, he's not known for his great coaching abilities over there with all the talent that he has, but, you know, it, it made Florida's offense. Uh, it, did, it just stifled Florida's offense. They couldn't do anything. And it kind of came back to bite Florida in the South Carolina game, but uh, good thing Florida scored often. They scored early into the game, and uh, 
And Kadarius Tony's got some wheels and some legs. I, I could tell you that. But uh, yeah, Florida faces off against Texas A&M next week, and it was uh, it was great to be joined by Brian and and Michael here on this uh, little South Carolina Florida uh, post game. You know, it's like I said, I I love my Gator family, and I love the people at Chomp Talk, and I love the people that listen to this podcast. And uh, I want to give a special shout out to those people out there that uh, gave us five stars on uh, Apple Podcast. Uh, thanks, y'all. Uh, like I said, we're going to keep going. This is episode number 10, uh, 10 episodes already. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, we're we're starting to take off there out there in Florida Gator World. So, folks, until next week, just, uh, you know, we always say here on the Gridiron Growl Podcast, in all kinds of weather, we don't just stick together, we keep it together. Stop, 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 stop.